Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't know if I would have got to the place where I am now had it not been for cancer, you know. And I'm not one of those people that just thinks that cancer is some kind of wonderful gift. I used to make myself feel so bad if sugar passed my lips. I don't know if I would have got that. For fuck's sakes, Chris, this is about you now. This is this is how you are treating your body and this is how you are looking at your body because suddenly there was so much focus on my body and how I felt. Until my dad died and until I got, you know, grew up, I don't think I appreciated my um uh, the flavor within me like the the germanness within me and um because when I moved here, I wanted to shake that off as quickly as possible because I was deemed different in the playground. I do not feel shame about my cancer. I'm author and journalist Laura Price, and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week, I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With a different theme each week, we look at everything from food and love to food and friendship, food and fertility, and even food and grief. This week's episode is Food and Cancer with Chris Halenga founder and CEO of the breast cancer education charity Copperfield and author of the brilliant memoir Glittering a Turd. 13 years ago Chris was diagnosed with incurable breast cancer at the very young age of 23. Just a few months after her diagnosis she co-founded the charity with her twin sister Maren from her mum's kitchen table making it her life's mission to help prevent others from being diagnosed with cancer at the incurable stage. Chris, Maren and a bunch of their friends started off by going to festivals and teaching people to check their boobs with some face paint and stickers. Today, 13 years later, Chris's charity Copperfield raises £2 million a year for its campaigns and is backed by celebrities including Fern Cotton, Derma O'Leary and Little Mix. While being treated for stage 4 breast cancer, Chris has run a half marathon, done a 100-mile bike ride starred in a documentary, written a book, started a coffee and cake business, curated and organised an annual music festival called Festifeel, won a Pride of Britain award and successfully campaigned to get cancer on the school curriculum in the UK. And those are just a few of her many achievements. Perhaps most importantly of all, her campaigning has helped save countless lives by giving people the tools to understand their bodies so that if they're ever diagnosed with cancer, it is caught while it's still treatable. 
I first met Chris almost 10 years ago when I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 29. Like Chris, I'd been dismissed by several doctors who said the lump in my breast was probably hormonal and that I was too young for cancer. Like Chris, I'd been through a prolonged period of stress and like Chris's, my maternal grandmother had also had breast cancer young, so my mother, like hers, was worried. Copperfield had launched their Boubette programme, where women like me who've been infected by breast cancer go to schools, festivals and workplaces to educate others about the signs and symptoms of cancer. I signed up as a Boubette and took part in various fundraising efforts for Copperfield, including an incredible trek across Iceland with Chris herself in 2016. I read Chris's wonderful memoir, Glittering a Turd, last year, and I've been singing its praises to everyone I know. While it's technically a book about cancer, it's actually very much a book about life, and Chris is the ultimate grabber of life. I defy anyone to read this book and not find it completely uplifting, life-affirming, and unputdownable. If you're familiar with Chris through Copperfield, Festerfield, Glittering a Turd, or any of her other endeavours, you'll have heard her talk about cancer and survival and boob checking and cats and dancing and living life to its fullest. What you might not have heard her talk about so much is food, apart from cake. She talks a lot about cake, and that's one of the things I'm here to talk to her about today. Nutrition is so important when you have cancer, but equally important is quality of life and the ability to eat the things you want to eat. So I'm here to talk to Chris about food and cancer and how her relationship with food has changed over the last 13 years. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Life in Food. Hi, (laughs) thanks for having me. That is quite the intro. It was quite a long intro, but you've done so many things and I didn't even list half of them there, I don't think. Oh my God, yeah. Um, I kind of need to steal that so I can have it as my like bio that I send out to people because it's quite handy. Absolutely. Thanks. (laughs) um yeah it's a pleasure thank you so for those who haven't heard your story could you start by telling us how you came to be diagnosed with cancer when you were 23 and where you're at with your cancer now um yeah so I was initially diagnosed with uh metastatic breast cancer which um is often called secondary breast cancer or incurable breast cancer which means it spread and it couldn't be cured at that stage and it but it could be treated um for hopefully as long as possible and obviously 13 years later the as long as possible has stretched out this far um and i mean in that time it has spread to various other places it's found its way into my brain and my liver and my um my left adrenal gland last year and various other places um and so you know it's very much an active living with uh this disease and currently i'm I'm on a new treatment since uh, about a month ago. Um, And uh, I mean, like I have been for the last 13 years, can only really take it day by day or scan to scan um, where I find out whether the cancer is behaving or not behaving and what we need to do about it next. So, you know, um, it's... I often like to call it more like a chronic illness, but I don't really think um, it's necessarily useful sometimes to call it that because it needs more gravitas than that to kind of be given the energy and importance and attention needed to actually finally find the treatments that make sure that no one dies of it. So um, it needs to be taken very seriously, but I don't let it take up too much of my headspace or life or to or let it be too serious in my life if that makes any sense 
Yeah, well, we'll talk in a bit about all the other amazing things that you've yeah. been doing to order to kind of push cancer aside. But you recently celebrated your 13 year anniversary since that diagnosis. Congratulations on reaching that milestone. Thank you. How did you celebrate? Um, I celebrated by um, hiring my local village hall because I live in Cornwall. So there are villages and village halls around me um, and hosted a school disco in it. Um, very basic school disco where I had literally no it was basically what you would imagine a really shit school disco to be like that's what it was um but I wanted to keep it simple and fun and it was that um and I got people to dress up as their 13 year old selves um and it was hilarious and I just danced I all my like my own my main mission for the evening was to just dance and I did that and I was quite happy about it um yeah and then also the next day I went to Spain and sat in the sunshine and ate tapas for three days so all of which looked amazing yeah. and I've been following your uh, party and your holiday on Instagram I also saw a video of you what looked to be sliding on a skateboard under mm-hmm. a kind of human mm-hmm. tunnel which looked yeah. pretty fun yeah. yeah it was just the right level of silly that I needed <laughs> to kind of see in this milestone I I do tend to do something a bit different each year. I mean, for my 10th anniversary, I hired one of the biomes at the Eden Project in Cornwall and got people to dress up um, in any kind of cat theme. I was like, a, uh, I was a cat. And um, and people could use that theme in whatever they, way they wanted. I mean, someone came as cat litter. Um <laughs> So, you know, I, you know, I just say there are no rules when it comes to celebrating stuff like this. But, you know, overall, it's not so much celebrating the fact that I've had cancer so long. It's about celebrating life in general and um, stopping and actually appreciating that for a moment. Kind of going, oh, isn't it good to not be dead? You know, and you actually give everyone at Copperfield the day off on your mm. cancer anniversary yes. to do something that makes them feel alive? Yes, exactly that. I mean, this year it was on a Saturday, so they had the Friday off beforehand. But yeah, it's just a day for them to kind of reconnect with what makes them feel alive, reminds them why being alive is great for the day. And that, and like, I stress to them it doesn't have to be something wild and crazy just anything like the simple act of just hanging out with someone that they haven't seen for a while or even calling that someone that they haven't spoken to for a while, hanging out with their parents or just going to the seaside or, you know, whatever it is, keep it simple, keep it great. And, um, but then, I mean, some people do take it to the extreme. One girl got a tattoo a couple of years ago on that day, um, dedicated to Copperfield and that was (laughs) quite the dedication. Um, and then during, because last year, because it was a lockdown still in the UK, people had to kind of keep their ideas smaller and simpler. Mm-hmm. But I think that is a nice challenge in itself, isn't it? To kind of go, what what can I do within my means that is still good at reminding me that I like being alive, you know? Um, and I mean, I reassured one girl that even really mindfully having a cup of tea and really 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 enjoying that cup of tea is as good as anything else yeah absolutely. i mean she laughed at me for the first um 
five minutes. Uh, but then she did that, and then she actually understood what I was kind of saying. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. We obviously don't have time on this podcast to summarise the events of the last 13 years of your life since you were diagnosed with cancer, but fortunately you've written the most incredible memoir, Glittering a Turd. Would you like to give us a few lines from the book to give us a bit of a taster? Yeah? (laughs) Okay. What I will pass on about my treatments is that there's power derived from knowledge, that vegetables really do matter, and that removing toxins from your life is the key. Be that the food you eat, the chemicals in your household, the negative thoughts you think, or certain people. And it's possible to not compromise all your quality of life. Knowing there are so many options at avenues is okay. It's the self-assurance and the decision you've made that I think makes the biggest difference and builds your bold nerve. Do the work, leave no room for doubt, but then surrender and have faith in your decision. That's what matters. Lastly, Healing never stops and that is actually great. We are conditioned to believe in and want easily achieved gains, instant gratification and the ability to return to normal after a burst of effort. But it doesn't work that way. The best thing you can hope for is a love affair with your healing journey. For it to be so fun, enjoyable and explorative that you don't even want to return to what once was. Cancer has shattered you but also rebuilt you. That transformation might mean you do not fit in the same old conversations or relationships or thoughts or life anymore. Maybe it really never has been about a cure. Maybe what we should all be striving for is to be healed. Oh, I absolutely love the idea that our healing never stops. Thank you for that reading. So this is the Life in Food podcast and we're obviously here to talk about food and cancer. When I was diagnosed with cancer, one of the first things I started to think about was whether I should change my diet. As you well know, in fact, you probably know this better than anyone, when you have cancer, you become the recipient of unsolicited opinions and advice Mm -hmm. on whether you should give up meat or dairy or sugar or whatever it is, or how your cancer will be cured if you only start drinking turmeric lattes and (laughs) eating kale. So how was your diet in the lead up to your diagnosis and how did it change when you were diagnosed? Wow. Um, well, leading up to my diagnosis, uh, I was I had spent um, about eight months in Beijing leading up to my diagnosis. And over there I was eating, well, a very, <laughs> I mean, very diet, um, mostly not that healthy, really, because um, I was eating out so much and I, and I sometimes didn't really know what some of the ingredients were. Um, so I wasn't a very mindful eater before I was diagnosed. Um, I wasn't always a huge meat eater before I was diagnosed. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't a mindful eater and I wasn't aware of how important or what a, ro- what a role nutrition played in my overall well-being and health. I mean, I wasn't really aware of anything that I did in my life had any impact on my wellness and health. So um, food included. And so that did change after I was diagnosed because suddenly you think about all aspects of your life and what is controllable. And one of those things is obviously what you put in your mouth and what you nourish your body with. Um, And it almost becomes a bit of... um, bit of a to start with it became a bit of a pressure as I'm sure you would have felt is is this need to really like consider what 
is healthy and what isn't deemed healthy and to stay clear of the things that aren't deemed healthy um, because you don't want to make the situation any worse than it already was. So, I mean, my situation couldn't have been much worse, (laughs) but I did want to feel like I was giving my body the best chance. And I think the problem with starting a very intense chemotherapy like I did is that you're feeling so rough most of the time anyway that really the only focus you should have is getting anything inside you. Uh, It's not so much what you're getting inside you, it's just getting anything in you. Um, Because it's just, you need the energy. You need the sustenance to keep going, for your body to keep fighting. Um, But then I came across people's stories like Jane Plant, who was a very big advocate into... Um, having a non-dairy diet because that's what she did and um, it worked really well for her type of breast cancer she wrote a book about it Um, and so I came mildly obsessed with that to the point where I would feel so bad about dairy that I'd almost set myself goalposts So I remember this time, and it wasn't just dairy, it was sugar as well. So I think sugar is is quite a well-known thing um, in society that um, that, uh, sugar is, can be seen to fuel certain cancers growth. And I'm not disputing that, but um, I think you have to get to a point where it doesn't completely consume your enjoyment of food. I think that was where I had to get to where other people get to with that I literally don't care about it's where I had to get to with that but when I was at the beginning of like working all this out I used to make myself feel so bad if sugar passed my lips um to the point where I saw this advertisement for this new Kit Kat that was coming out and I wasn't like a massive fan of Kit Kat but there was something about the Kit Kat I think it had like this layer of caramel or something Mm. in it I saw this huge billboard for it And I remember telling myself, if my next scan is good, as in like the cancer hasn't grown anymore, I'm going to treat myself to one of those. And that became, but that is not, I soon realised that that's not a very healthy relationship with food. Because that's not in your control anyway. No, no. And um, I shouldn't be rewarding what my, what I'm not in control of um, with sugar. So um, that didn't last very long, thankfully. But I think that was a, a, still a bit of um, a tag on from the relationship that I had with food before cancer as well. So I say that I wasn't very mindful about food, but I really wasn't. I didn't really have a very healthy relationship with food either. Like two or three years before I was diagnosed, I'd hit the gym far too hard and I wasn't really backing that up with any kind of good nutrition because I just didn't really understand the importance of it. Um, and that was to lose weight very quickly. So, um, you know, I, that was still, I, I, I was still kind of, um, I still had some of that sort of mindset in my, the, with the way that I was dealing with food, with cancer as well. But yeah, it, it didn't last long and because it was making me miserable. Not that I'm saying that I just then ate whatever I came across and ate all the sugar and all the dairy but I just relaxed with it Mm. and kind of said if that if not having that thing makes me miserable then I'm just going to really rethink that um but I did understand the importance of 
fresh food and you know whole foods and um eating raw things you know and not not eating processed stuff all the time um so i just became i had i i just leveled out and balanced out my feeling about the whole thing really and what about supplements? I know you're a big fan of certain mushroom yes. supplements. Yeah, I am now. I wasn't to start with. I just didn't really understand any of that stuff to start with. I mean, I'd, I'd read some random things and I'd take the tab- a tablet here and there. Um, one thing that I became very obsessed with from the beginning was drinking green tea. And I still drink green tea now, but that's because I enjoy it. Mm. That's not. It's not a chore for me to drink green tea, but it's known to be good for you. So why not do it if I also enjoy it um but yeah I, I mean now I take all manner of supplements but that is guided by an actual professional not because I randomly read something somewhere okay so for anyone newly diagnosed with cancer how would you recommend they go about figuring out how to how to eat and how to do supplements oh, it's so hard because I hate talking on behalf of everyone you know I'm not talking because the cancer community is rife you know with opinions and thoughts and um factually incorrect crap um but having you know been around the cancer block long enough what I would say is well for me certainly there's such huge um power in knowledge and like I like educating myself about what can help me and my body I like knowing that certain food groups will do this thing or that taking this mushroom supplement will help me focus better or whatever it is. And I and I see the power in that and I have noticed a difference in that. So what I tell newly diagnosed people is um, don't just try and find some magic blog that will tell you all the things that someone else has done. Try and find your own path and your own sort of healing um like protocol I suppose that fits you and your life your preferences um and and what is also crucially affordable for you because I think what I'm able to do is not necessarily replicable for other people like I, I I can't say that every person should take a certain drug because not everyone can afford to do these things and equally I can't afford to do absolutely everything that people have suggested that I do. Um, but I'm but I'm happy with the things that I do do. And I really focus all my energy into the things that I do do. And so sometimes when people say to me, I wish I could do more. I wish that I could get the guidance of an integrative doctor. Or I wish that I could eat organic foods or whatever. Because all the things that are good for you are more expensive. Mm. <laughs> that is just life. Um, so instead I say to people well the things that you do do that you feel really good about that you feel are nourishing you do them with gusto do them with like love and know that you are putting love into your body and that in itself is super super powerful like don't begrudge that you're not drinking that you're not drinking that green smoothie in the morning like instead drink a cup of tea make it herbal if you can with more love and respect than like you know than have but instead of berating yourself for not doing something extra or more expensive um because you can't afford it yeah so um i think put more power into what 
the things that you can do instead of uh, wishing you could do more. And while you don't recommend that anyone follows exactly what you do, Mm. there is a really handy list of all the treatments, including medical treatments and all the supplements and even chocolate that you eat. All the things I've tried. On your website. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I think, you know, I've, again, you know, as I keep saying, I've had this for 13 years. I've had the um, opportunity and time to dabble and experiment with different things and afford different things so obviously I've got some experience and um doesn't mean I still do all of those things now because um my cancer's changed the way it grows the the fuel that it needs to grow has changed so therefore I have to adapt and move along with that um but yeah there is a there's a substantial list of all the things I have tried um on my website It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So going back to your early life, you grew up in Germany and moved to the UK when you were 10. What was your relationship with food like as a kid? And do you have any particularly prominent food memories? Yeah, um, I grew up in the northern part of Germany by the North Sea coast um, and actually near the Holland uh, border. Um, do you know what? I I wish I did have stronger food memories that were linked to Germany because um, actually because I have a British mum and she did most of the cooking in the household, um, I guess her influence wasn't really very Germanic. It was like whatever she could get down our throats um she was a mother of 
three young girls who she would probably stress out about more than anything um but having said that um within my german side of the family there were certain key points in within the calendar where german delic delicacies did play a role in my life um there is like there's like asparagus season and then there's like eel season um where you eat really greasy eel from the local market and you and you and, and you follow it up with some schnapps obviously i didn't drink that when i was 10 but i obviously have done since i've been back as an adult um or um i was very lucky to um <laughs> i mean where i where i grew up it was in a really small town but in this small town there was an, an ice dealer which is an ice cream parlor um there seems to be lots of ice cream parlors in germany um lots of italians went to germany and set up their ice cream parlors which is I don't know why they haven't they didn't come to the UK and do that but I'm um, it's if it when I moved to England I found it very bizarre that there weren't ice cream parlors on every road like there are in Germany. Um anyway, there was one in this little town that I grew up in and that was it was like a staple to go down to the ice cream parlor and get an Italian ice cream and have some gelato. Um so I mean there so there's key things like that that I definitely do pinpoint my life in Germany but um I mean I'd say I had uh, any sort of relationship with food that any kid would have you know up to the age of 10 um I think it's only in adulthood that I really appreciate some of the delightful things that Germany can offer in terms of cuisine and the and the, the many cakes that you can get and the bakeries I totally totally took for, took for granted how amazing a German bakery is when I moved to England and realized that you know most mornings my dad will go down to the local bakery and collect fresh Brötchen which are f fresh bread rolls in the morning and that mm. seemed like a totally normal thing to do and then when I moved here like we would buy like multi-pack of bread rolls from Aldi or Lidl and put them in the oven to warm up and I was like what what's happening um but I mean yeah I just I don't know don't think I knew realized how good I had it in Germany you know that's quite depressing actually but you obviously can like that that is something that I think perhaps we should all try and do more of going down to the bakery and buying our bread mm -hmm. fresh or mm -hmm. making it at home mm -hmm. even yes yeah absolutely so you're clearly someone who loves food, but you're also very aware of the nourishment your body needs to stay healthy. How do you strike that balance between getting all the nutrients you need and also treating yourself or not denying yourself of it because you know you're not going to live forever and you need to enjoy yourself? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, as I've said before, I think because I've had 13 years to kind of really establish what makes me happy, what I won't um torture myself with in terms of not eating certain things and what I'm happy to like forego because I really want to give my body the best chance I think you know I've had this time to really uh, calibrate that and recalibrate that um so it is it is fine balance because you really because like I you know I talk about like the sense of control that you lose I mean you know how you know that very well like when you are diagnosed with something like cancer you suddenly have to give over your life and your freedom and your um 
your health to a deadly illness and so you try and grab hold of anything that you can control and one of those things is food and so obviously you're going to be really obsessive about what it is that you are eating and drinking um but I just don't let it consume me to the point of making me really happy or making me really sad it's just a case of I'm just gonna have a normal relationship with food and I think that is a good place to be in um but I think there were key points so like when I've got um when I've had recent when I've had bad news when the cancer has progressed again when it's really rife again that's when I kind of go back to the drawing board and go okay I've gotten complacent maybe if I hadn't eaten you know um maybe if I hadn't eaten out so much recently um maybe this wouldn't have happened and like like your mind goes to those places isn't it it goes to those like well maybe if I hadn't done this and I think that's because there are um we do hear about the effects of like certain you know alcohol on and 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 the risk of cancer that you know 40 percent of cancer cases are linked to lifestyle choices so that link you can't deny that link and therefore your mind is going to go to a place where you think have I caused this and can I undo it by undoing whatever I've done before and I do truly believe that when you're diagnosed with something like with something like cancer there is a reason your body is doing they're they're reacting to a situation it's reacting to a situation that it has been put in um and anyone that thinks they can go back to some kind of normal before like the 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 lifestyle and the life that they were leading before cancer is almost like well you haven't really learned what it is that cancer is here to sort of teach you or guide you to um and I'm not one of those people that just thinks that cancer is some kind of wonderful gift that's supposed mm-hmm. to direct you into some wonderful new place. But I do think that there is a reason why we get these things. And, and we know, science has shown us, that a lot of the time it is our lifestyle choices that has caused them. And I don't think that's necessarily for us to then go... I don't want to be blamed for this or to feel any kind of shame because I do not feel shame about my cancer because that is certainly an emotion and a feeling and a negative thing that I can deal without. (laughs) I don't know. I do not need that on top of having to deal with cancer itself. Um, But I do think sometimes it's helpful to know what um, our body deals with and, and how it deals with things positively and negatively. Um, so I think it's helpful to know these things. Can I ask you about guilt then? Because I have been almost 10 years clear after my cancer diagnosis now and I eat very healthily in general. But when I have a few days of bad eating, maybe it's when I'm traveling and you just can't get yeah. so much vegetables or something like that. Or or if I've had a few alcoholic drinks, I will feel so bad mm-hmm. and so guilty yeah. in a way that my non cancer having friends don't necessarily get in the same way because I think oh my god I've just uh subjected my body to something that could make the cancer come back yes and and how do you not have that guilt or do you have that guilt um I just I guess I don't really call it guilt I kind of say oh wait I'm all suddenly aware of what I'm doing to my body 
that is a good thing. Mm. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to kind of go through life not really being aware of what I am doing um, to my body. Um, and so the way I see it is, okay, this is a moment where I've gone, oh shit, should I have done that? Well, I'm not going to make myself, I'm not going to regret doing it because did I enjoy it? Yes. So that's important and that's like psychologically really good. Um, but I might not do it again this weekend. That's how I would kind of reframe it. Um, and I think it's good to have those constant reminders because it can help guide you a little bit more. Um, as long as it doesn't rule your life. Like, I mean, if you're feeling like that every weekend, then obviously you really need to rethink your actual relationship with food in general or alcohol. Um, but if it's every now and again, you think, oh, should I have done that? Well, maybe I'm I'm going to be more mindful about why I eat this week instead. So um, that's that's how I avoid the guilt for sure. Yeah, good advice. So one of the things you and Copperfield are incredibly good at is body positivity. The charity has very clear messaging that anyone can get breast cancer, whether it's men, women, non-binary people. And all of your recent campaigns show bodies of all shapes, sizes and colours. When it comes to food and body image, how have you changed between now and the person you were 13 years ago, right before you were diagnosed? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, as you read in my book, like the way I saw myself and my body was so predetermined by um, what other people thought, um, and in particular, a guy that I was with. Um, so I never had my own thoughts about myself. I never had my own um, reassurances because I was always looking for other people's. Um, and that's obviously very detrimental to the way you treat yourself, the way you look at yourself, the way you speak to yourself. Um, and I was I was doing all the things that I don't do now. Um, and uh, I don't know if... I would have got to any if I would have got to the place where I am now had it not been for cancer you know I don't know if I would have got that for fuck's sakes Chris this is about you now this is this is how you are treating your body and this is how you are looking at your body because suddenly there was so much focus on my body and how I felt um so I really needed to reframe how I felt about the whole shebang um yeah, I was not kind to myself at all before my diagnosis at all. Um, and like I said before, like I would, uh, I would do some crazy workouts. And I think movement's really good, exercise is really good, um, but not to the not the way I was doing it. I was doing it to lose weight, to change my body, to look a certain way, not to feel a certain way. Um, so that has definitely changed. And I'd like to think that that would have changed the older I got the more I moved away from absolute dickheads. <laughs> um, but I I don't know that for sure. And yeah. I will never know that for sure because I can't undo the cancer. I can't undo the last 13 years. But um, it, it certainly helped kind of snap me out of it much quicker having this diagnosis. Well, I think you're definitely very kind to your body now. And yeah. I love seeing when you post pictures of, you know, your flat chest from your double mastectomy and being proud of that and just, you know, wearing... Uh, wearing bikinis and outfits that flaunt it that don't hide it and yeah. it's such a such a powerful message to send to other people who yeah. have their own body worries and things so. yeah I mean you know uh, if it helps someone else feel more confident in the way that they see themselves or whatever then I'm glad but 
I literally don't give a fuck anymore. I don't even know if you're okay with me swearing on this. No, well. absolutely. I, I've ticked the box that <laughs> okay. says contains expletives, okay, so it's yeah, all, yeah, good. Yeah, all good. good here. Moving on to cake. In 2017, you and Maren started a coffee and cake business called Kern, inspired by German Bunt cakes. How did that decision come about, and what's your favourite thing about making and selling cakes by the ocean? Um, it came about because for... Well, since my diagnosis, um, Maren and I ploughed our everything into the charity Copperfield, um, which was obviously very cancer-centred, um, and it very much became about that. My life and her life became about that. And um, the more the charity grew, the more we got swamped by managing people, managing people's dramas, and just the day-to-day crap that comes along with managing a business or charity or whatever something you know an important organization um and when I stepped away from the charity and went part-time and became more of an ambassador um and it was led by someone else entirely and Myron stepped away from it completely that's when we kind of had the opportunity to go well what what do we love um and the answer was baking and cake and making people happy with cake and and good coffee and do we want to still manage people no do we want something that's just us again and that you know the charity started off as just us but um it grew very very quickly into something bigger um and you know our german background means that we um grew up with lovely baked german goods um our grandma for every birthday would make us bunt cakes um and put a candle in the middle um so that's you know that's what we knew and that's what we loved and that's what we wanted to reconnect with and obviously crucially it was a world very very far away from cancer and it was refreshing to do something completely different um and (laughs) I mean, Maren laughs when I say stuff like this, but like something slightly more carefree. I mean, running a business is absolutely not carefree. And she would be the first to say like, yeah, it might be carefree for you, Chris, but I'm the one that has to do all the ordering of stock and, you know, all the heavy lifting behind the scenes. Um, But it very much helped us strip things back to what we enjoyed and you talk a lot in the book about growing up in Germany and the death of your father, who was German. How did the Bunt business help you connect with the German side of your identity? Um, I don't think I, until my dad died and until I got, you know, grew up, I don't think I appreciated my, um, uh, the flavour within me, like the, the Germanness within me. And um, because when I moved here, I wanted to shake that off as quickly as possible because I was deemed different in the playground and I had an awful German accent, which I obviously don't have anymore. And I kind of feel sad about that now. Um, but I just wanted to be English really, really quickly so people wouldn't treat me differently or look at me in the playground or or anything like that. Even though I had Marin, who was exactly the same as me and we were both weird together... I just really struggled with the change and being different. So I wanted to shake that off as quickly as I could. And I did. And suddenly I was British. And then when I was older, I was like, oh, that's such a shame. Even though I could still speak the language, there was nothing really. And especially when my dad died, that kind of severed 
my connection to the country um because my german side of the family we're not really that in touch with anymore um we really grew apart so um it was in a sense and there was a a sort of need to reconnect with that and reconnect with our roots um and start appreciating what we wanted to shake off so quickly when we were younger um and i'm glad about that um and i'd like to think our dad would be happy about that too if he was still here one of the things you mentioned in the book was that one of the redeeming factors of your father's funeral was the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love hearing, I love the traditions that they have in mm-hmm. Mexico around death and the way that they yeah. celebrate with food and the things yes. that the person loved. Can you tell us about those cakes at yeah. the funeral? Yeah, it was just, um, in Germany they have this Beerdigungskuchen, which is basically funeral cake and it's um, layers upon layers of butter um and sugar essentially it's just butter and sugar and some, some creamy stuff um and you have it with schlagsahne which is basically whipped cream um i mean i like i love that word schlagsahne um and yeah we had it at my dad's funeral we had it at my grandma's funeral we had it at all the funerals uh it's just this sort of common thing so you have the funeral and then you go somewhere and then they serve up cake and tea and coffee i love those little traditions as well i love that um cake can almost like cut through some of the crap and kind of reunite people in grief um and uh and it's such a simple cake too that's what i love about it it's really simple cake for a seemingly very normal situation since funerals are quite normal thing to happen in life but um i like that there's that connection and obviously when i moved to england they that wasn't a thing here and so it's not not until you realize when something isn't a thing in another country that you really appreciate the thing that you had back um where you were born um so at my funeral there's definitely going to be Berdigungskuchen by coincidence um on this podcast just in the first season of this podcast I am interviewing three separate women who are all identical twins no way um so and, and it's something that I'm absolutely fascinated about as a non-twin oh, great um so I'm interested in the similarities and differences between you and Maren in terms of food and how you eat are you similar <laughs> I think Maren would say no because she reckons that I'm quite fussy but I'm I'm not I'm not in the great scheme of things, I'm not fussy because I love most foods. Um, but I think I have, uh, my tastes have changed because of cancer and because of the treatments I'm on. So some things will really, really make me feel nauseous very quickly. And I think that's like a part of my brain that has just changed a lot over the last 13 years. Um, or I might have an association with something or a certain time. I mean, I don't know if you like ate a certain food during chemo chemo which, which you now can't eat yeah like i certainly have that um and there's certain herbs and things that i'm just like really really sensitive to now um so and then and sometimes maren's cooking something and she'll be like oh you don't like cumin do you chris and she'll find that so irritating and annoying that <laughs> i don't like that ingredient because to her it just like seems like such a normal um inoffensive ingredient but for me it's really not um so um yeah she would probably say that we're different but actually we both really appreciate good food um we were in spain last week and we 
plowed into all the tapas that we could and we really both loved it so there is that um i think we just appreciate good food both of us do and cake we both appreciate good cake and good food and then in terms of cancer i know this is um something that you've been asked in the past but is there anything different between you and maren that you think meant that you were the one who got cancer when you did and not and she didn't get it um um yeah this is something that i've explored a lot um and thanks to um us being part of the twin research center at st thomas's um it's kind of helped us explore that a little bit more because they really are fascinated by twins who are not necessarily the same but the differences um and so um and obviously when i was diagnosed and she was fine uh, it's obviously going to cross your mind like what why me and not her um but what we have always said is that the way i deal with emotional things or stresses is kind of it was quite different um um before i was diagnosed and as a kid the way i dealt with my parents divorcing and um just the relationship with my parents as a child um was different to maren even though growing up and having these conversations now she's like no I felt like that too but and I was like but you didn't show it at Mm -hmm. the time and I think the way I showed or dealt with emotions was quite different um and I mean who knows whether that then turned something on turned something off switched something within me mutated a cell in my body we don't know that for sure but you know there is amazing evidence to suggest that certain stresses in your body do change certain cells um and can change your makeup so i i don't doubt it but i don't have concrete evidence to suggest anything did change or happen um it might just literally be bad luck i don't i don't know that for sure but that's the one thing that we can pinpoint you talk in the book about how when the going gets tough maran puts the kettle on (laughs) how do you as twins express your love for each other through food or through cups of tea um for example like i might get some shit news from the hospital and i live on my own and she knows that the last thing that i would want to do is then cook myself a meal and cry at home on my own so she'll say come over and because she's got a child who she needs to cook for she's like she's always cooking she's always making something she's always preparing something and that's what's so great about her and also the the layout of their house everything is centered around the kitchen so like that's where you deal with all life's problems is around the kitchen table and I love that about that um and so I will go over and she will feed me and and we'll just get through that next phase from one thing to the next from one meal to the next from one cup of tea to the next you know um and she's thankfully that headstrong and that stable with everything that's happening to me that she can do that whereas I would be an absolute fucking wreck if it was the other way around like if something like this was happening to her I'd be like well I'd probably get a takeaway (laughs) or I'd pour some wine or something you know um but actually what she did do um after my last shit news she did pour me a shot of tequila and she was like just take that just take the edge off and I said no I don't want to take any alcohol especially because the cancer had really it's like it's quite rife in my liver at the moment I was like obviously mm. cancer 
liver and alcohol not a great combo um but she's like one little shot of tequila is not gonna make a massive difference right now and it did help take the edge off so she's very good at like knowing what i need in that certain moment yeah myron is the best she is she is the best if anyone hasn't read the book yet then read the book and you'll hear all about myron from your perspective and yeah it's just it's just so wonderful to read Okay, I'm going to finish up on the questions that I ask everyone on this podcast. Okay. Your relationship to food, fuel or pleasure? Pleasure. Favourite meal of the day? Dinner. Name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Oh. Cake. <laughs> I love that cake is a meal. <laughs> it is. Isn't it? Absolutely, oh, yeah. Uh, one food that has healed you. Uh, one food that has healed you. Mushrooms. Ooh, that's a good one. One dish that reminds you of family. Oh, my nana's roast dinners. One recipe that everyone should know how to cook. A crumble. Ooh, uh, what what kind of fruit? Um, apple crumble. Okay. Your best meal ever. One that I've cooked or one that I've just eaten? It's up to you. Um, best meal ever, probably all the food that I ate in Japan. Ooh. Um, finally, some food for thought. What is the one piece of advice you would give to anyone newly diagnosed with cancer? Oh. <laughs> take a breath. I think that's, that, I kind of wish someone had said that to me. Just take a breath. Take a long breath, yeah, maybe. Big, long breath. Yeah. Yeah always that's good advice for any situation Mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. chris thank you so much for coming on this podcast it's been fascinating as ever to hear your thoughts and wisdom on food and cancer and i'm sure it will be especially useful to anyone who's been recently diagnosed i hope it will also inspire people to go and buy your amazing book glittering a turd and most importantly of all to go and check their boobs yes me too do all those things please thank you thank you (laughs) if you enjoyed my interview with chris helenga please do go and buy her book glittering a turd available in hardback in the uk now and in paperback later in the year if you'd like to hear more about her work at copperfield or see a handy guide on how to check your boobs just head to copperfield.org i would also recommend signing up to chris's patreon page and following her on instagram at how to glitter a turd i'll put all those links in the show notes You can also pre-order my debut novel, Single Bald Female, which is the fictional story of Jess, a young magazine journalist who deals with the double whammy of breast cancer and a breakup before plunging herself into the murky world of online dating with a bald head. It's inspired by my own experiences of being diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29 years old. Single Ball Female is out now in Germany and it's published in the UK on the 14th of April. You can pre-order it from your local independent bookshop or through any online retailer and that would absolutely make my day. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with all of your friends as it will really help me to keep sharing these inspiring stories from some amazing people. You can also follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes, where you'll find more information on my debut novel and my newsletter, as well as upcoming episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Life in Food with Laura Price. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.